Can you imagine, just for a moment, if you went to the mailbox, or for those of you that don't know what a mailbox is, all you young people, if you opened your email or your messenger and you saw this invitation, and it was a pretty nice invitation, probably a lot prettier than the one that's supposed to be on the screen, but it was an invitation nonetheless. It's still supposed to be on the screen. There it is. You are invited to the event of the millennium. And you receive this. And you read the invitation and you're, 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 you're almost taken back by the invitation. The invitation says, if you come. And all you got to do is come. All you got to do is show up. And everybody that attends is going to get a brand new vehicle of their choice. You're going to get an all-expense-paid 30-day vacation anywhere you want in the world. And to top it off, you're going to get a guaranteed lifetime income of $250,000 a year. All you got to do is come. Anybody want to go? Amen. I'm already almost there. And then it says the RSVP must be filled out as exactly as stated. The RSVP seems to be important. So when you look at this, I'm thinking first, if you got an invitation like that, how about you know, your jaw would drop open and you'd go, wow, what idiot wouldn't go to this? And then you'd probably go, oh yeah, I've seen these kinds of things before, especially on the internet. This is too good to be true. It can't possibly be true. But what if it is? What would you do? Can you imagine anyone saying, you know, I got to dress up. It's a black tie event. I, I don't like wearing a tie. The RSVP, did you see what's on the back of this invitation? There's 10, 12 things we got to say or do and answer. And, ah, it's too much work. Or take it, put it aside and say, you know what, I'm going to get around to that later. Only you forget until the day of the party. And you, well, I, I'll just go anyway. They'll let me in. All I got to do is show them that I did have an invitation, at least. And then you go, and you're shocked. You're absolutely shocked. You can't believe it. The people at the door don't believe your invitation. You're not going to get in. You did not RSVP. You did not meet the requirements of the RSVP. You didn't even respond to the invitation. And you're not admitted to the entrance to the party. And all the promises of that invitation, there went your brand new car, your 30-day vacation, and your $250,000 a year income. Who would do something like that? Most of us would never do that. Most people would get that, and they would really want to attend. But they would want to attend often based on their own criteria. It doesn't matter what the RSVP required. And then we're so shocked if they won't let you in. And as hard as it might be to imagine, many are missing out on the invitation of a lifetime, which is the title of my message. The invitation of a lifetime. There is going to be a feast. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. You can read about it in Revelations 19. Jesus used parables talking about a wedding feast. And there's going to be 
this amazing event that's going to top anything that man could ever put together. It's going to be so far better than any vacation, any new car, any salary, whatever the amount of money is. And yet, many people do not respond to the invitation. In Revelations, it said, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The real meaning there is, Blessed are those who are invited and respond to the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the next few weeks leading up to Easter, I'm going to be looking at some of the different teachings and different events that took place in the last seven days of Jesus' life here on earth before the crucifixion. And remember that he has been ministering for approximately 300 years in a relatively small geographical area when you look at even the whole nation of Israel as it is today. He's been doing astounding things. We can read over and over where word of him has spread to the ends of the known world at the time. So he was known. He had, the people had witnessed things they'd never seen before. They talked about his teaching in awe because they'd never heard of one speak with such authority as this man, Jesus. And yet over and over and over and over and over again, the Jewish people who he came to minister to, the very people that God had chosen to come and reveal his love, his grace, and mercy through, most of them had rejected him. Especially the religious leaders had rejected him. When we're going to look at the text I've chosen this morning, the little context, Jesus, the day before, he had had what we call that, that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he had went to the temple and he'd raised Cain in the temple. He had tipped over the tables of the money changers and he had done all those things and he had went back to Bethany. And now this is the next day. And the next day, he does an amazing amount of teaching. And it's interesting that most of his teaching, once again, is to the religious leaders. And we need to remember that God knew their hearts. You know, when he was teaching, when he was ministering, instead of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, instead of them listening and allowing the truth to change their hearts and their minds, they were plotting to kill him, to get rid of him. And Jesus knew that. He could see into their hearts, just like he can see into our hearts. And yet, it's like here he is, just days from these people crucifying him on a cross, demonstrating his love and his mercy and his long-suffering, trying to share the truth one more time, still trying to reach through their stony hearts and change their hearts, get them to understand the truth, but knowing their hearts. Thank goodness he hasn't changed. He's still patient and he's still long-suffering. He's still, there's still invitations going out to everybody to receive the invitation and respond to that invitation. Jesus is going to use a parable of a wedding feast. It's in Matthew 22, verse 1 through verse 14. That's what we're going to be looking at. And it's a scripture that you may have read many times. But to understand the background, when Jesus spoke in parables, generally he would take a very common theme 
a common story or a common illustration that the people would know about, that they would understand. So in the Jewish culture, a wedding feast would have been something they'd have all understood. In the Jewish culture, without going into great detail, usually what would happen is the couple would become betrothed, or what we would call engaged. And they would be considered just as if they're married during that betrothal. Mary and Joseph were betrothed when she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit with Jesus. And that usually would last about a year. And then, usually in the middle of the night, the bridegroom would come to the bride's house. If you know the illustration of being ready and having their lamps trimmed in the Bible, it's another parable. It's the same picture. But then they would show up, and they really did this, and be ready. The bridegroom is coming for his bride. And then there would be the wedding and the wedding feast. And man alive, if you think you've ever been to a great wedding reception, these things could last days. If you remember Jesus' first miracle at the wedding of Cana, that had been going on more than a few hours before they ran out of wine. They would go on, and this would be the tradition. And when the king, when the king threw a feast, especially if it was a wedding feast for his son, one of the things that was very common, according to what Bible commentators tell us, is it would not be unusual. For example, if Darren and Gloria were going to get a daughter married off in a few weeks, and they'd invite us all to their wedding, they would supply and say, here's what we want you to wear to the wedding. And in biblical times, it was typically a long white robe. So the king would give opportunity for everybody that's invited to come and get that white robe so that when they would come to the wedding feast, they would be dressed in the garments that he provided. And responding to this obviously would show great respect to the king putting it on, that you held him in high esteem and you, and you considered his invitation very important. So they would understand a lot of this in the Jewish culture that we would just kind of miss, might go right over our heads when we read this. So I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to look at a few things in it in the time we have this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Jesus spoke to them again in the parables. And if you look and see in the context, you know who he's speaking to again? He's speaking in response to the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. He's basically speaking to them again. It's almost like, here, let me break it down again with another illustration that you would understand. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, the fattened cattle, They've all been butchered. Everything is ready for the feast. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, and they went off. One to his field, another one to his business. The rest seized his servants. They mistreated them, and some were even killed. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, and some of your translations might say the highways and byways. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. 
So the servants went out to the streets and they gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came, when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed there was a man who was not wearing the wedding clothes. Friend, he's asked, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him, hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. The parable, the illustration, the first thing you need to understand is the king is a representation of God. His son is a representation of Jesus. And in parables, sometimes the parable, there's parts of it that are very specific towards the Jewish people. But more often than not, most of the parable has direct application in our lives too. As we're told in the word that all of it, the scripture, is good for us to teach, encourage, rebuke. So when we look at this, some of it focused on the Jews. Much of it, most of it, could apply to them as well as to us, giving us an opportunity to look back into history so that we may learn from it. In verse 3, it says, He sent his servants to those who had been invited. When you read through this carefully, it's not like, just those that had just gotten the invitation. No, they had been invited sometime before, just like we do. You know, got a wedding announcement in the mail this week. The wedding's not today or tomorrow. It's a little ways out. It gives you time to prepare. They had received the invitation. It had been given to them sometime before. And yet, notice, they refused to come. Everyone that was invited could come. Everyone. It wasn't just for some. The invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation, everyone is invited. Everybody that's ever been born on planet Earth or ever will be is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's not that God is exclusive. It's up to the people who receive the invitation to respond. They chose not to. To respond. They rejected the invitation and chose not to RSVP the way that they should. They could have went, but they chose not to. The difficulty that most sinners, which I'm referring to most unsaved, which we all were at once, the problem there is primarily one of the will. You know, we can show you scriptures that the whole world may know, that all creation declares. In other words, we're all without excuse. The invitation to some or others aren't, more, aren't as detailed as everybody's. But we've all received an invocation, invitation with enough information to respond. So it's a matter of the will. Will I choose to respond or will I reject the invitation? And here those that had received the invitation, and if you haven't figured it out yet, that would represent the Jewish people that Jesus first came to. 
And they'd heard it over and over and over. Just think of this invitation. There was symbolism of it, types of it all through the Old Testament. And now John the Baptist came, and now Jesus has been ministering, and they've heard this over and over and over, and they just choose to reject it. Verse 4 says, when he then sent more servants, he gave them another chance. Another chance, and another chance, and another chance. Just think how many times you or I had to hear the gospel before we responded. If you're one of those very few that heard it the first time and said, I'm all in, praise God. But if you're like me, you heard it, and 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 you you did nothing with it. Deal with that later. RSPB, RSP, help me again. Thank you. I'll RSVP later. Oh, shoot. I missed it. Anybody ever do that with anything? That's my wife's fault. She knows I can't remember. So he sends him out. And he's telling him now, come on. It's happening. It's going to happen. I have prepared the dinner. My oxen, fat, and cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Everything is ready. The meal for us is a crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. The world is starving and hungry for hope, love, joy, peace. All that we were designed to can only be found in Christ. And and God the Father sacrificed him and he prepared the meal. And he's saying, the banquet's ready. Everything's in place. I've done it all. I've made all the preparations for you. Come to the wedding. And yet, they refused. All they had to do is respond. RSVP. That's all they had to do. See, the only wedding feast, the only way to enter in to the wedding feast that's in Revelation, the marriage supper, the marriage banquet of the Lamb, There's only one way to RSVP, and that's to accept Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your personal Lord and Savior, so that your sins might be forgiven, that you could be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. When we RSVP by saying, I accept and I receive, the invitation has been RSVP'd to the only way that will work, the only way that will work. But in verse 5, we saw they paid no attention, and they went off. Now, one to his field. Evidently, he was a farmer. Another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Basically, some were just too busy with the cares of the world. I got to go home and take care of the farm. I got to go home and plow a field. I got to go make another million dollars. I got to do this. I got to do these things. We're so wrapped up in the cares of the world. They think, they think. They don't have time for God. They reject not only the message, but oftentimes the messenger. The messenger here, we see some of the servants were ridiculed. They were abused. They were made fun of. Some of them, there was such hostility that it says that they were killed. So much like the message of the gospel today. I mean... Ridicule, mocking, you know, you become one of those Bible-thumping Jesus freaks and want to share the good news of Jesus, you're just strange. 
And really, we need to understand that, yeah, sometimes we can get a little obnoxious in our flesh, but the reality is they hate God. Or they don't know God yet. So they're just choosing to not only hate the message, and blame, they'll blame the messenger. Look at some parts of the world. You know, it may seem a little extreme when you say, gee, they killed some of them. Well, we could all go to certain parts of the world where we go out and start proclaiming Jesus and sharing the gospel message. You could get killed in a heartbeat. And people are. The message is the same message today as it was then. The good news of the gospel. Sinners need a savior. Jesus, the only son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, and he took my sins and your sins on the cross and he paid the penalty that God had declared. The wages of sin is death. And on the third day, he said, it's a done deal. God accepted it because he raised him from the dead and that resurrection power is available to us. You know, the gospel message is the same. You know, when you think about it, if we could think about it just logically and, and, and look at that and remove the emotion, you'd think, who would reject such an invitation? There is a promise of peace. There's a promise of hope. There's a promise of joy in the Lord. There's a promise that you will spend eternity with our Heavenly Father who created everything that exists. There's a promise of no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. It's all there, just RSVP, the way you have to, the only way you can. And yet many people still reject the invitation. And many people will be hostile to the messenger who delivers the invitation. And parts of the world, thank God it's not America yet, you could be killed for delivering that very message. Verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. I would say that is a part that is specifically for the Jewish people. It's a parable that contained a prophetic word. Jerusalem was destroyed. The city was burned in 70 AD by the Romans that God used to fulfill that prophecy. It happened. With the proper response from the people, it wouldn't have had to. Verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. And it wasn't a random choice by God, or in this case the king. It's not like you all returned your invitations and I looked out there and said, well, yeah, I'll take this section and that section. The other two, I'm really sorry. No, it wasn't. They didn't deserve to come because they did not RSVP correctly. They did not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They did not accept the truth. They rejected the truth. And this is the Jewish people in particular which the bad news is for them, the good news is it opened the door to the Gentiles. And that's all of us. That's the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And he said, go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find in verse 9. In other words, the doors are open. And you know, it's interesting, when you look at the next verse, it says, so the servants went out of the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. Basically what he's saying there, it doesn't matter who you are or what you were. Before it was exclusively where children of Abraham, where the Jewish nation, were God's chosen people. God says, well, that was nice for a while, but you rejected me. Now the door's open to everyone. 
It doesn't matter who you are as a Gentile. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whether in the world's eyes they go, boy, Johnny's a good man, and boy, Darren's <laughs> not so good. No, it doesn't matter. Whatever you've done, whoever we've been, the invitation goes out to everyone because he was first rejected by the Jews. So they went out. You know, none of us by nature are good, right? No, not one, the scripture says. Not one. We all needed a Savior. We all needed Jesus, the only entrance into the banquet. And verse 11, for me personally, is probably the most disturbing verse in the parable. And I remember reading it years ago. I'd read it, and I never understood it. It didn't, didn't make much sense to me. But as I read it, it says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Remember, as I said, Bible commentators tell us that historically, when the king would sell, have a banquet like this, he would provide the, the clothing. He would provide the robe. So everyone would have opportunity. Receive the invitation. Go and get the robe so that they could all come to the party and honor the king dressed as the king would want you to be dressed. Wearing the clothes, the cloak that he wanted you to wear. The one that was required. Can you imagine if we all went to a party and everybody received in the mail a package and it had a white robe on it and said, this is what you're supposed to wear to the party? only you didn't get your invitation and you showed up dressed in your Sunday best, whatever that was. The king comes in, you think you're going to get noticed. Instantly, you'd be seen. You'd be recognized. You weren't dressed in the proper wedding clothes. To do that in biblical times would have been a, a great show of total disrespect to the king. It would be as if you received the message and your invitation, you disregarded it, almost held it with contempt. You know what? I'll go. Who does that king think he is telling me what I need to wear? I've got a better idea. I got more comfortable clothes. As a matter of fact, when I walk in and they're all wearing that silly white robe and I'm decked out, I'm going to look good. It's my idea. It's my way of doing it. Boy, that's the human way of thinking. I'll do it my way. What God says really doesn't matter. My way will work. Man's way will work. The religious leaders believe their religious ceremonial ways would work. And God's saying, no, there's still only one way. It's really a picture of man thinking we're going to get into the banquet because of our own good works. We're going to be cloaked in our own filthy rags of our righteousness, what we think is righteousness. My good works, are they going to be enough? Look at what a good person I am. I'm going to dress myself in all the wonderful things I've done. The priest, you can imagine, well, we've, we've killed, I don't know, thousands of those sheep and oxen on that altar. We've sprinkled blood till it's all over the place. Now, we're all right, we're in. No, it's, it's not working. And the man walks in, and he's in there, and the king comes out, and he sees him instantly. Why are you here? What makes you think you can come here without the wedding clothes on? 
God the Father went to great, great lengths for our wedding clothes. We are cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. That's our wedding garment. That's the only RSVP that will get us into the banquet, the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. If we are not cloaked in the righteousness of Christ, we will not get in. Your good works won't get you in. All the things you've done won't get you in. All the religious activities you've been a part of won't get you in. Only being dressed in the wedding garment provided by the King of Kings, provided by God himself, the righteousness of Christ. You know, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's going to occur occur when Christ comes back. And who wouldn't, if they've ever heard the story, if they've ever heard the Bible thing, if they've ever heard about Jesus, if they've ever heard about heaven, who wouldn't want to get there? But the problem is, so many still want to define how they're going to get there and how they're going to get in. But God's made it clear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one will get to the Father but through me. I am the only mediator between God and man. It's all Jesus. Is he intolerant? No. He invited everybody. But... His justice had to be perfectly met, and it only could be met through Jesus. And he's given us the opportunity, all mankind, the opportunity to accept the righteousness of Christ. He goes on in verse 12. And if you can imagine this picture, he looks at the man and says, friend, and I don't think he meant good friend. It was more a greeting of salutation. He says, friend, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? And look at what it says. The man was speechless. He had no excuse. He was without excuse. He knew better. He knew there was only one way in. He had heard the truth. He chose to neglect it, ignore it, whatever, and try to get in in his own filthy rags of human righteousness. And it didn't work, and he knew it. He blew it. And the reality is, I think this is going to be such a tragedy. How many people, either by direct choice or because they have been so misled, but Jesus still makes it obvious. But there's going to be so many people who think, I'm going to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the Father can just look at him and say, Wait a minute. I gave my son to provide the garment of his righteousness and you rejected it. The next verse should scare us into believing, if nothing else. Then the king told the attendants, take him, tie him, hand and foot, throw him outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a day when judgment will come And those that are not cloaked in the righteousness of Christ will be cast into the pit of hell and spend eternity separated from God in torment forever and ever. It's not a pleasant message. Much of the church doesn't want to talk about that. Why would you? It's horrible. 
But the reality is it gives us a standard to look at and say, wow, we have all this and we're invited to come freely at Christ's expense and never have to experience that. All we've got to do is accept the invitation to accept the reality that Jesus, the only Son of God, died for our sins and was raised from the dead. And all who believe in him died with him and will be raised with him. We're raised with him. What garments are we wearing? I truly believe there's a lot of people that want to be at the marriage supper. They're planning on being there. But the problem is, they've not responded to the truth. And some may have not yet heard the truth. But we can declare the truth. We can share the truth with love. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's really, when you, it's just think about it. There's nothing more loving you could do for someone than share the good news of the gospel with them if you care about them at all. We're so bound by fear that they'll respond or they'll make fun of us or what. You know, that, that's God's deal. He's got to handle their response. We're just supposed to go into all the world and tell the good news of the gospel. If you love someone, man, oh man, when there's an opportunity to share the good news of Christ, we should jump at it. Praise God for it. Overcome the fear that's holding us back. The Holy Spirit will lead us, tell us when, give us the words to speak. All we've got to do is respond in obedience to that. Many have chosen not to respond, not to RSVP. They've chosen to reject Christ. They don't want to surrender their heart. They don't want to surrender their life. And I believe most of the time it's because they truly don't understand. As you lay down your life and surrender, you're overwhelmed with the blessings and goodness of God. All of the promises of Scripture become yours, every single one of them. It's the most amazing transaction that you could ever make. What do I have to do? Nothing, no work, no effort. Just believe and receive. It's here for you. But so many want to enter another way. I was one of them. I figured I was going in. I'd been baptized. I'd been confirmed. And some of you were worse than me, I think. So I was in. My way. But the Holy Spirit can soften any heart to receive. The only way to get into that wedding is to answer the call and become born again. Revelation 19.7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. If you go and read that, you know who's saying that? Multitudes of angels and whoever else is in heaven. Can you imagine that chorus being sung by multitudes? And the bride, which is you and me, has prepared ourselves and we're ready. Are you ready? That's the key. Are you ready? Most of us, well, if you're in here, we're without excuse. We have heard the truth. The key is responding to the truth and personally acknowledging your sin acknowledging a need for a Savior, acknowledging that Jesus, the only Son of God, 
sinless sacrifice died for me and my sins. And he was raised from the dead. It's like the receipt from the Father saying, it is, accept it. When you and I do that, you're now wearing the righteousness of Christ and you will get in to the wedding feast, guaranteed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look into your word and we, we see the stubbornness and hard-heartedness of times of the Pharisees, our religious people, God, that you would not allow our hearts to ever become hardened. God, I pray that every heart here would be soft and malleable in your hands. Father, I pray that if there's here, those here that have not accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, that your, their hearts have been softened by your spirit even this morning and they have praying that prayer even now to surrender their life to Jesus. And for those of us that have done that before, God, I pray that our hearts are softened and are opened to whatever the Holy Spirit would have for us, to equip us, to give us the discernment, to give us words to speak, to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, I thank you that we have a promise that one day we are going to be at the greatest celebration ever at the marriage supper of the Lamb when your church is brought to our bridegroom and we will spend the rest of eternity in your very presence. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.